Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So that's step one. It's to have our eyes open, to see people in their need, and not to close our eyes because we want to do something else. We have plans. We're tired. We're hungry. And we're busy. This is Joseph. Joseph was not expecting this challenge, which is a temptation to him, but also revealed her need from Potiphar's wife. It just hit Joseph broadside. And Joseph, he could have just closed his eyes to Potiphar's wife in her great need. He could have just refused, and I don't see you, I don't hear you, you know, and acted like a blind person, but he didn't. Step two is in Mark 6.34, when it says, the Lord saw them as sheep not having a shepherd. So this step is the Lord saw the needy people, and then the Lord just sort of takes time and, you know, thinks about what he saw, and he listens, and he sees their need. See, in this step, what it's showing us is that we need to take time, to take time to think about the core need of that individual person. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. But God has brought us, and that's our diagnosis time, if you're, you know, thinking medically. It's the time like, you know, what exactly wrong? And that's the time of listening. That's the time of listening. That's why we open our eyes to the lost around us, so that we can listen to them, we can think about their the what are the issues that keep that person bound to sin and in rebellion against God? What's the issue? You know, what's the issue? So that's what this step two is. And so we do this so that foremost, why do we want to know that? Foremost, so that we can become an, an effective intercessor for that person. We need to be the person who carries their issues to God. Because we're children of God. We're children of God. And what it means to be a child of God, it's talking about it in John 1.12 when it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power or gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's a double reception in that verse, John 1.12. There is the receiving of him, We receive him, and then we receive power. See, that's a double reception. And we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and God, and then we receive power. And that's a very important word in the Greek, exousia. Exousia is a very important word because it's translated power, and we receive power to become the sons of God, but it also means honor. We receive the honor of becoming children of God, the sons of God. And it also means authority. We receive the authority of a new title, 
of becoming sons of God. And it also means privilege. We receive the privilege. We receive the privilege, the authority, the power to become the sons of God. Well, all of that power and that authority and that honor and that privilege comes with responsibility. We have a responsibility as the sons of God. And it's not just to be the sons of God, but it's to accomplish the job of the sons of God. You know, this reminds me of of John Phillips. John Phillips, who I got to know because he was a partner in the firm Phillips & Cohen. He was the Phillips of John Phillips, obviously, in a law firm that represented me in my whistleblower lawsuits. And so I got to know John. So, And I remember in 2013 when John was appointed by President Obama to be the U.S. ambassador to Italy. It was such a big deal. There was a celebration, and John moved to Italy, and there he he has been the ambassador to Italy. Well, as an ambassador to Italy, John didn't just have the power and the authority and the honor and the privilege of being an ambassador of the U.S. to Italy, but he also had responsibilities of being the U.S. ambassador to Italy. And as a matter of fact, he resigned from his firm, and that's all he does. Okay, So in the same way, not only have we the power and the authority and the honor and the privilege of being the sons of God, but we've got responsibilities. And one of our responsibilities is to pray for the lost. That's one of our responsibilities, to pray for the lost. And that means to carry their specific needs after we thought about that and considered them carefully to the Lord in prayer. So therefore, we have to take time to listen to them and to think about them and what they need. Now, from what we're going to see about Joseph and what he said to Potiphar's wife, it's going to be very evident that Joseph has taken that time to listen to her and to think about her greatest needs. Now, step three is seen in Mark 6.34 when it says about the Lord that he was moved with compassion toward them. You know, it's so very easy to become sterilely academic with the lost. And by academic, I mean to do steps one and two, see them, analyze them, listen to them, analyze them, think about their greatest need, and then sort of keep it in the mind. Oh, yeah, right, okay, he's really caught in sexual immorality, he's going to hell, I understand that. And not allow our hearts to get involved. It's so easy to guard our hearts It's so easy to be the oncologist who sees his patients dying left and right or the nephrologist who sees his patients dying left and right. And it's so easy to be like some of them that keep themselves guarded from becoming emotionally moved by the lost and to guard our hearts and to not let ourselves become hard-involved with their plight. That's to become hard-hearted. And that was not the Lord. When it says in Mark 6.34, that the Lord Jesus was moved with compassion toward them, that means that he didn't just guard his heart from being you know, deeply affected, not at all, but he allowed his heart to be broken for the lost. Now, I'm not saying that we should all become emotional and cry at everything, but weeping over a lost soul, you know, John 11.35 is the shortest verse in the Bible, and it just simply says, it's very short, but it says so much when it says Jesus wept. Now, Joseph allowed his heart to have compassion on Potiphar's wife. And then step four 
is seen in Mark 6.34, Mark 6.34 again, when it says, and he began to teach them many things. So this is the next step in working with the lost. It's to teach them. It's to teach them. You know, this last week, a good Japanese friend of mine who has cancer told me that he prayed to God, but he's not sure that he prayed to the right God. (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about that statement. I didn't say much other than, did you read the Bible I gave you? But that's all I said. Okay, so I've been thinking a lot about that and analyzing that as I'm planning this week to visit him and to teach him from the Bible who the right God is that he should pray to. Because the lost are ignorant. The lost are ignorant. They don't know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. You know, there's a sign if you drive down on Mission Gorge Road there on the road, it says, who is Jesus? They don't know. And because of this ignorance, or what the Bible calls lack of knowledge, they're destroyed. They're destroyed. Because it says in Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. We fight against the lack of knowledge. And our weapon is the Bible, and that's our book of knowledge. And our method is to gently instruct, instruct the lost in what the Bible says. Well, that's what we see Joseph doing here when it says in verse 8 here, and said unto his master. Now, the first word that Joseph says unto Potiphar's wife is behold, which is the same as as Joseph saying, you know, I've given a lot of thought to what I'm going to tell you, and now just please allow me to teach you. So Potiphar's invitation at the end of verse 7, lie with me, it really has two unspoken words that go in the front of it. And when you put those two words in there, it really helps to see the importance of Joseph's behold statement in verse 8. The word behold in verse 8 is Joseph giving her reasons why he cannot lie with her. He's answering a question. He's answering a question. And the question is seen when you just plug those two words in front, and the two words are, why not? So we can see her saying, why not lie with me? And then we can see Joseph saying, behold, because, and here's the answer to the question of why not lie with me. So Joseph knew what Potiphar's wife was saying with the why not lie with me because Joseph had read her heart. He had read her heart. He had answers to her question, why not lie with me? Joseph had answers to the question, why not lie with me? But people today don't have an answer. They have no answer to the question, why not lie with me? And that's the reason why our world is full of immorality, because people who commonly have no answer when they are challenged with the question, why not lie with me? And that's why Joseph's answer is so important for us today. See, Joseph hears the heart of Potiphar's wife. Joseph's responding to her heart. Joseph is speaking heart to heart. And it's very easy for us to become defensive with the lost when they challenge us to sin and to blow them off with a, you know, get away from me, you sinner, you know, you viper. (laughs) And if we do that, we forget John 3.16's declaration that God loves all the world. And 1 Timothy 2.4's statement that God will have all men to be saved. And 2 Peter 3.9's revelation of God's will 
that no person should perish and everyone should come to the knowledge of the truth. So what's so beautiful about Joseph is his reply to Potiphar's wife. First, he sees beyond her immediate words to the expression of her heart with, by putting in the why not, and he responds by giving answers. Second, he does not push her away and say, you know, look, you hell-bound sinner, you're trying to pull me into there too. No, leave me alone. But he sees Potiphar's wife as a drowning person in a sea of sin. And so he goes into action, and he really tries to help Potiphar's wife to recover herself from sin. And by doing this, Joseph is saying to what he's saying to Potiphar's wife, he's like throwing her life preservers. And with each statement, it's like he's throwing her another life preserver. When Joseph said, he hath committed all that he hath to my hand, Joseph is throwing to her the life preserver of trust. Just picture him throwing her this life preserver of trust. And as he does, he he says, hey, look at me. Just look at me. I'm being a trustworthy servant. Take this life preserver and yourself become a trustworthy wife. And when Joseph said, thou art his wife, Joseph was throwing her a life preserver of position, of position. I mean, you know, again, you know, picture him to throw this life preserver, and he's saying, you know, hey, look at yourself. You have the honored title of wife, his wife. Take this life preserver and live in the position of his wife. You know, Joseph says to her, for me, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He's throwing her a life preserver, and he's saying to her, you're talking about a great wickedness and a sin against God. Take this life preserver and confess your sin to God because he'll forgive you and pardon you. So in all these things, Joseph is trying to win her soul and convert her from her sin to God so that God can become her savior. And that's what it says in Proverbs 11.30. In Proverbs 11.30, it says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. So what is the tree of life? It says in Proverbs 15.4, Proverbs 15.4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. So with Joseph's wholesome tongue, and by his life also, he was trying to be a tree of life to Potiphar's wife and winner's soul. He was trying to do, as it says in James 5.20, James 5.20, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the heir of his way, or in her case, her way, shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. You know, he didn't go around and say, hey, everybody, you know what she just said? She said, lie with me to establish his own innocence, which I guess you'd say, you know, it could have been a strategy. He didn't do that. He said, well, now let's really take the life preservers. So by his words, Joseph was trying to convert Potiphar's wife from her heir. He was being wise in the definition of wisdom according to Daniel 12.3. Daniel 12.3 says, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So with his word, Joseph was trying to be wise and turn Potiphar's wife to righteousness. 
And in that way, we see him, like it says in Matthew 4, 19, Matthew 4, 19, he saith unto them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He's, he's trying to be a fisher of men there with Potiphar's wife. So he's trying to help Potiphar's wife by giving her these reasons. He gives her, let's say, three reasons why he cannot lie with her. And those are really three personal principles that Joseph hopes will be personally received by her to make her forsake the sin. I mean, uh, he says, there's none greater in the house than I, in verse 9. There's none greater in the house than I. That's the principle of personal faithfulness, faithfulness. He says, hoping that she will want to be personally faithful to her husband. And the second reason is in verse 9, he calls it this great wickedness, this great wickedness. This is the principle of personal purity, personal purity. He's hoping that she'll want to be pure personally from her sin, And the third reason is, in verse 9, it's a sin against God. I mean, this is the principle of personal friendship with God. Joseph is hoping that she'll want to have her own personal friendship with God and forsake this. So Joseph has given a lot of thought to her need, and these three principles, as he's telling her, the three reasons that are very important to him, and he's indirectly teaching her that she needs to see in her life the importance of faithfulness to man, the importance of personal purity, and the importance of friendship with God. Now, Joseph, he says in verse 8, my master, he says, my master, weteth not, in other words, doesn't know what is with me in the house. So this shows how Joseph is keenly feeling the trust that Potiphar has put in him. When Joseph refers to Potiphar, he doesn't say the master, but instead Joseph calls Potiphar my master. And there's a difference. There's a difference by calling Potiphar my master. He's declaring his allegiance and his responsibility to be faithful to Potiphar. He feels himself accountable to Potiphar. You know, there's a difference between us calling Jesus the Lord Jesus and my Lord Jesus. You know, when we call Jesus my Lord Jesus, it's the same as when Joseph called Potiphar my master. We declare our allegiance to be faithful to the Lord We put front and center that we're going to give an account to the Lord Jesus. So when Joseph says to her, my master, what if not, he doesn't know what's with me in the house, he's feeling really what Potiphar felt when he entrusted Joseph with everything he had. See, it's like Joseph is feeling how Potiphar had made himself vulnerable to Joseph. He feels this. Now, we can imagine how Potiphar looked into Joseph's eyes as he entrusted Joseph with everything and said, Joseph, uh, you haven't been here that long, but I really know you, and I, I've never done this before with anyone else, but because I know you, I'm entrusting you with everything I have. And then we can imagine Joseph looking back into the eyes of Potiphar and saying, you know, I know what you're doing. I'm very honored. I'm appreciative and I will not let you down. I will not let you down. So when Joseph says to Potiphar, says about Potiphar that he didn't even know it was in his house, when he says in his house, he's referring to Potiphar's wife because Potiphar's wife was in his house. And after we started to study about Potiphar's wife, you know, it's very interesting. Scott, you don't mind if I tell this story, do you? About what happened to you? Okay, good. All right, so Scott was leaving prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and it was raining and Scott was parked at the stoplight here, when a woman came and knocked on his window 
and asked for help to get to her hotel, which wasn't very far because it was raining. So Scott, you know, took her to the hotel and all along the way, this woman was like Potiphar's wife. <laughs> she was leaning on Scott with the lie with me, lie with me, lie with me day by day, you know, minute unto minute. And Scott said, I can't do that. And then the woman, her argument was based on no one would know. <laughs> that was her argument. No one would know. And Scott, oh, great Scott. <laughs> Scott said, God would know. <laughs> God would know. And that he was a Christian. So what the woman was saying to Scott is, why not lie with me? And Scott had an answer to the woman's challenge. And Scott's answer was God. That's all, God. And that's what makes the difference between the world and an obedient believer. The obedient believer has an answer to the question or to the challenge, why not lie with me? And the answer is God. But the world doesn't have God, and so the world has no answer to the challenge, why not lie with me, which is why there's so much, as I mentioned, immorality in the world today. So it's the same answer that Joseph had for Potiphar's wife. Why not? God. That's the answer. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, when Joseph says in verse 8, he hath committed all that he hath to my hand, we can picture, you know, he said that his hand, is God, his hand, you know. We can picture Joseph looking at his hand, and he's saying, you know, he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. And then we can see him thinking through, you know, shall I with this hand touch his wife? And so Joseph knew what God had told Abimelech about touching his very beautiful great-grandmother, Sarah. In Genesis 20, verse 6, Genesis 20, verse 6, God said unto him in a dream, God said to Abimelech, in a dream, yea, I know, yea, I know that thou this in the integrity of thine heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore, suffered I thee not to touch her. His hand, to touch her. See, that's the reason King Solomon focuses on the hand as the start of all this immorality in Proverbs 6.29. Proverbs 6.29, when it says, He that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Very similar to the Lord's words, to look on a woman to commit adultery, which is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, 1 Corinthians 7, 1, now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It reminds me of when Cheryl and I, we used to visit our missionary from here, Rusty Young, who was in France for decades, and he started churches in France, and we loved to go there, spend time there, and, and you've gone there too, to his church there, and, and it was so common after the service in France, for everyone to greet each other with a kiss. Do you remember that? That was what they did, you know. That's France. A kiss on the cheek. And they would argue from 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, where it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, this really bothered Cheryl. So one time she came out of the church and she goes, hi, Rusty, here's your holy handshake. <laughs> Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Come meet Pam Tebow, Tim Tebow's mom, on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th at the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference presented by the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Pam Tebow will be speaking on homeschooling her five children, including Tim Tebow, and will worship with musician and singer Michael Sanchez from The Voice and hear from special speakers Kevin Conover from Educate for Life, Pat Roy, formerly of Jonathan Park, and CEO Tom Cannard, president of the First Creation Museum and Friendship with God Bible radio teacher. Cost for the event is only $15 per day, and enjoy a Chick-fil-A lunch and fellowship with other homeschoolers. So invite your friends and register today for the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference with Pam Tebow at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.